As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. In New York City, I'm pleased to say on Bloomberg TV and on Bloomberg Radio, we're joined now by the U.S. Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh. Secretary Walsh, first of all, sir, I know you've been unwell the last couple of days. Can you tell us if you're okay? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I I feel a lot better. It's uh, it's uh, thank God I'm I'm vaxxed and boosted because uh, this thing uh, it it attacks your your immune system. But I I feel good. So thank you for that. Well, you're a good man for giving us some of your time. I've agreed to shorten up the interview just so you don't have to do much today. So let's start with this one here. The jobs report, your assessment, sir, the view from the White House at the moment. Certainly, it's a good jobs report, uh, 390,000 jobs. We're seeing good gains there. One thing that we looked at from uh, when the president took over, we had 10 million people out of work in America. It's down to 455,000. Uh, that's a good number. We're seeing steady and stable growth here uh, in, in the jobs reports. But we, we know, as I say every month, we have more works to do. This 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 uh, what outpaced what the expectations were, but certainly we know there's work to do. We know we're still dealing with inflation. We should, we're still dealing with an economy that that people are concerned about, and the president's laid out a plan for it. You know the numbers well. 1.9 jobs for every unemployed person in America right now. The quits rate is elevated. That's a sign of confidence. The unemployment rate didn't move lower today, but still a decent level of 3.6%. Yeah. The worker, most people are concluding, has a fair bit of bargaining power here. So, Secretary Walsh, with that in mind, what kind of approach would you like to see in the talks with unions representing the workers on the ports on the West Coast? We talked about this a few times over the last few months. What's your view now? Yeah, I think that, that those conversations are going steady. I've, I've been staying in, in contact with the, with the folks out on the West Coast. Uh, right now, I think it's, it's on a good pace, and they just need to continue to have those negotiations. Obviously, uh, anytime you have a negotiation like the ports, uh, whether it's on the West or East Coast, but in this case on the West Coast, we want to keep a close eye because we know the impacts that, that if, if it doesn't go well, what what it'll have. But I, I feel pretty good about I feel confident where they're headed on those conversations. Can you give us some idea of why you're confident based on the conversations of the last month, what the developments actually are specifically? Yeah, I've spoken to both the companies and the unions and neither one have really said that there's any obstacles that they're really concerned about right now. What they're doing is they're having the negotiations that they have every few years. And, uh, you know, and certainly I think they all of the all the parties know what what we, what the American people have gone through over the last couple of years, with supply chain issues and and what's happened in the port. So I think they also understand the importance of getting a contract done. Secretary Walsh, just finally, because I know you have to run. We've had some warnings this week from some big players. Jamie Dimon talked about a hurricane coming to the economy. We heard from Elon Musk of Tesla. Reuters reporting that he sent an internal email pausing hiring potentially cutting 10% of the workforce. 
Are you seeing much more of that in the conversations you sit, you have with corporations week to week, day to day? No, I haven't really, they haven't really brought that up to me, but I'll tell you, you know, the president has been uh, very, very focused on making sure that, that we continue to, 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 to tackle all the inflationary challenges and the challenges of the economy. I mean, this is a, an all hands on deck approach that includes government and corporations working collectively together. Uh, I, I think that we're kind of like we're in a marathon here. This isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. And we have to just continue to, to move forward one day at a time. Secretary Walsh, we appreciate your time and I hope you get better soon. And we'll get you back Thank in you. person, hopefully. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Secretary Marty Walsh there. Randall Krosner with us for some observations here, of course, with the Booth School of Chicago, the former Fed uh, governor. Randy, I, I want to talk about what the Fed actually does around the table at the Eccles building with this report. Do they value an analysis of the inflation-adjusted wage? Does the real wage matter? Sure it does, because they're looking both at the inflation to see where expectations are, what uh, what is happening in the labor market, and then they look at adjusting for inflation. Um, are real wages exploding? They're certainly not exploding. We've got uh, inflation that's much higher than um, uh, than the, uh, the the five, roughly five and a half percent uh, growth of wages. And so I think, as you were saying, the Fed is going to take this as this is kind of what we were anticipating, uh, that we're not seeing an explosion on the uh, the wage side. Uh, we're not seeing a collapse of the economy either. I mean, these are still very strong numbers. The unemployment rate at 3.6% is still a, a, an extremely strong number. It's very rare that the uh, the uh, the U.S. economy has a sustained uh, unemployment rate below 4%. Um, and so I think um, it's very much consistent with the Fed's forecasts. And so that means there's nothing that's going to stop them from continuing this um, march of uh, 50 basis point increases. And as um, my uh, my former colleague from, from graduate school, uh, Lael Brainerd, said, they're going to be uh, marching uh, through at least September in those 50 basis point rate increases. Well, that's exactly where I wanted to go, Randy. Does this jobs report give credence to the idea that they could go 50 basis points, three meetings in a row, and then follow it on with another 50 basis point rate hike, even though last week some, including Raphael Bostic, were talking about a pause? So, I mean, it, um, you know, as they always say, they're data dependent. You know, we have to see how the, the data, uh, data come. But if you get reports like this, is going to give Fed the confidence that they are doing the right thing, that uh, they're starting to have a little bit of an impact on uh, on inflation. Uh, and hopefully once they get in the two and a half, three percent range, uh, they'll have more of an impact. Inflation expectations have not gotten out of control. Um, the short term expectations are super high, but that that makes a lot of sense. But the intermediate to longer run expectations are really not much out of the range where they've been over the last decade. And this is why the Fed needs to act now. And this is why I think Lael was out there saying, you know, we're going to be, be tough on inflation because they have an opportunity. The opportunity is to raise those rates now when the unemployment rate is, is low without inflation expectations getting out of control. As long as they stay well anchored, um, they can move into, let's say, around 3% or so. That uh, And then uh, hopefully we'll start to see uh, some of the, the inflation start to come down. And then uh, they'll be uh, be sitting pretty because they won't have to raise rates. Those double digit levels, which is where we were 40 years ago when inflation was this high. Great to catch up, Randy, to get your thoughts on this. Randy Krosner there of the University of Chicago Booth School. The conclusion for him, the work has, the Fed has got more work to do. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority. 
by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Right now, joining us, Jeffrey Rosenberg with BlackRock. And Jeff, perfect time to talk to you. I want to know how the bond market responds to one of the themes we've seen, and maybe we see in this jobs report, which is we're going to move from 8% to 5% inflation or 4% inflation, and then there's a massive then what? How do you position in bonds given a bipart move in, in inflation and presumably in yield? Yeah. And, you know, a week from now, we're going to have that conversation again with maybe a little bit more relevant information focused on, you know, the CPI report. But the inflationary data that we get out of today, as you guys have covered, you know, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, avoiding the worst case scenario. You get a little bit of improvement on the labor force participation rate. I would agree with whoever said that earlier. That's probably, you know, for the inflation story, the, the biggest important uh, number that we get out of the payroll report. Obviously, there's a average hourly earnings as well. And, and, and that, you know, avoided a, a, a negative disappointment in terms of, you know, fast print. You know, the, I think the market this morning is maybe reacting on, on the headline. You know, there's a pretty big drag to that headline number from retail. Uh, you know, so if you, if, you, if you discount that, this was actually a little bit stronger report. You know, perhaps that's what we're seeing in terms of the market. And as uh, Randy just said, you know, take a step back, 390,000. This is, this is still a, a very, very strong and too strong uh, labor market. So we need to see that slow. And, you know, that's in the expectations. And you're getting a little bit of that, maybe a little bit of disappointment in terms of the slowing. I wouldn't read too much into it. And to your question, Tom, you know, the, the jury is still out in terms of the inflationary trajectory. We're, we're projecting it. Fair. We have expectations that we're going to see that decline. But you can't get the Fed really out of the business of focusing on the number one priority, which is 
getting inflation down uh, until you start to really see definitively that show up. And until that happens, it's going to be a very tough time to be thinking about, you know, bonds in the portfolio as, a, as, a, as an equity hedge, bonds as, you know, stable source of, of income and preservation of principle because they've got to adjust. Now, the good news is there's been a lot of adjustments. So I think the pain that we've seen in the first quarter, unlikely to be repeated, uh, but too early here on this report uh, to, to say it's all clear. As traders parse through the numbers, you are seeing a bit more of a lift to yields priced down on bonds, to your point, Jeff. And you're also seeing uh, stocks get hit a little bit more, perhaps, because it is still too hot for the Fed. I wonder, though, how much, Jeff, this market continues to be faith-based in terms of pick your data point, pick your narrative, confirm it, and move on. How much is that sort of what you're feeling right now? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we all are going to have various I interpretations on, on the data, and, and so will the so will the Fed. But eventually, the data will show up, and it's not just one data point or two from which we extrapolate. And we have to be a little bit of patient. Uh, we have to be a little bit patient to see that trajectory play out. The market may not be patient. You know, one comment from from Bostic, and everybody says, "Oh, it's it's okay." You know, they're going to pause. And then Brainerd, you know, tries to put that back in the bottle. So really, we got to focus not on, you know, being sort of yanked around by various comments, but understand that the priority here is inflation. And that means a consecutive set of inflation prints monthly. You know, so we've, we've got to really follow this over the course of the summer <clears throat> into the fall before we can really uh, definitively claim that the projections, the faith-based projections <clears throat> and the consensus yeah. expectations are actually being realized. Jeff, it's a chart that we have tattooed to our brains, and certainly you do with all your work at Carnegie Mellon. The 10-year the real yield, the inflation-adjusted 10-year yield, however you want to measure it, we're nowhere near back to normal, our way. What is your measurement of normal, given these uncertain times, that the real yield has to get back to? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Tom, because it, it really is kind of the, the North Star for thinking about Fed policy. You know, the Fed wants to get back to neutral. You know, what is neutral? Well, well first of all, neutral in, in real terms is a lot closer to zero, probably between zero and a half a percent. Uh, but to get there, you need, you know, both an increase in, in nominal yields and a decrease in inflation. And if inflation doesn't do its part to decrease, then you need more increases in nominal yields. So when, when people kind of think about the 3% that the Fed's going to very quickly get to, you know, by the end of this year, early part of, of, of next year, the presumption there is that the inflation is also going to decline and do its part. And that's going to bring real yields back to something that's closer to neutral. So if you don't get that contribution from inflation, then you are going to need to see more on the nominal rate hikes to, to get closer to neutral. So there's two parts to that nominal rate forecast that's yeah. kind of embedded in, in bond prices. And a big part of that is a, is a steady decline in the inflation rate. Jeff, in about two hours, President Biden is going to come out and talk about how the strength of this labor market is going to allow the nation to uh, navigate through a difficult period of time. He will talk <clears throat> about how it's one of the strongest labor markets in history. How do you look at that and then confirm the sort of bearish tilt of the market that's looking to recession, that's looking to a slowdown and looking to an increase in the unemployment rate? 
Well, it's about kind of setting expectations. I think some of the things we've seen from the administration is trying to get out ahead of labor market slowdown. But but also slowdown here is a good thing. And that's a little bit tricky of a message for them to say because it's all been about these great job numbers and how good that is. Now they've got to pivot to talk about the sustainability of the economy and that too much of a good thing is actually a bad thing because of its impact on inflation. And so seeing this steady decline in payroll figures is actually something that we should look forward to and would be a good outcome. So I think it's, it's kind of turning their narrative. It's what the market is looking for as well. Uh, and, and, and that's where this kind of good, bad news is, is good uh, news in some sense uh, is, is in the market expectation. Jeff Rosenberg, thank you so much with BlackRock. Jerome Schneider, most patient man on the planet, joins us now with PIMCO. Jerome, seriously, thank you uh, with your valuable time for staying with us here uh, to the end of this hour. Does the yield market game the Fed, or is the Fed watching the Jerome Schneider space? Yeah, the Fed is watching both spaces, uh, quite honestly. Eyes firmly fixated on both ends of the spectrum, quite honestly. On one side, they're probably a little bit relieved this morning that yep. early signs of economic, you know, transition or perhaps even inflection is coming along. Um, and they, they're sort of seeing that, you know, the, the market is becoming a little bit, the jobs market, the labor market is becoming a little bit more tentative. And, and maybe there's some, you know, if on hand, one, the other, meaning retail numbers were down, as you noted uh, previously, and hospitality was higher. So some of that is the pivot from goods to, you know, goods to services. And, and that probably is a good thing in the Fed's mind and the Fed's construct. So they're probably continuing and will continue to be fixated on those longer term inflation expectations and that they look at where the data is today and more importantly the next three jobs reports that we have before the September jobs report hmm. you know that's actually pretty data dependent and makes them a little bit data dependent but it actually goes into the calculus that perhaps this 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 inflection point does give them a little bit of ability to be less hawkish, potentially. And again, it's all in the data. And so I sort of point to that because, uh, you know, inevitably the next meetings in June and July are 50, and and you probably have uh, Jackson Hole, and then you have September. It get, does give them a little bit of time to at least be uh, be be uh, putting some bets on the optionality that they ever so love. Oh, Jackson Hole. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I have to put in a request for the surveillance jet to get out to Jackson Hole. But Jerome, we've got the balance sheet, uh, the Fed beginning to roll off this, you know, close to nine you know, trillion dollar balance sheet. What does that mean for the short term end of the market? What should we be looking for? Yeah, as I said previously, I think that there's two things. One is that, you know, this cycle's runoff is going to be substantively larger and ramp up faster than the previous one. So the this tool, which obviously many Fed um, governors don't want to readily admit to, but this tool is one which actually has a little bit less precision. And, and so we <clears throat> might be able to deduct what's going on from the previous time we tried to tighten the balance sheet to this one, but it's not going to be the exact same science at all. It's going to be very much an art. And so while we ramping up here pretty quickly over the next three months to that 95 billion aggregate number. Um, the reality is, is that it's going to be a pretty defensive uh, situation whereby excess reserves are drained pretty quickly. Now, 
that's one aspect of it. The second aspect is we still have an, a tremendous amount of excess reserves. So the inflection point, again, to be thinking and use mm-hmm. that term, um, further out for liquidity may not necessarily be anything in the near term over the next you know, three months or so, but it's going to be longer term as those excess reserves get depleted and more right. importantly get placed in the proper locations away from the reverse repo facility that has $2 trillion in it. So for investors, right. what does it mean? <clears throat> it ultimately means focus on liquidity conditions. These are reasons probably still to be defensive. And in PIMCO parlance, you know, our view of the anti-Goldilocks outcome, which relies upon higher liquidity conditions and being a little bit more defensive with risk and credit assets, at least at least in the near term, is something that probably still holds fast. It, it, one final question, Jerome. We've got to go to some breaking news. Does this mean that we just extend the x-axis? Does this mean in our, you know, our media analysis of we want everything to be short term that everything's going to be stretched out longer? Well, I think it's the other way around, actually, Tom. I think the reality is, is we spent years making x-axis think that it's shorter than it really was, bringing forward expectations of earnings, funding conditions, things like that. And so all we're doing is reverting to an x-axis, which is normalized, meaning that we need to be thinking about how things can evolve over the next year, which can be pretty drastically different than they were in the past. So the assumptions, the long-term assumptions, are frankly what what people can't be reliant upon as they were in the past. Jerome Schneider, thank you so much. Again, Yeoman's duty here helping us uh, before and after the conversation with Secretary at Walsh. Mr. Schneider with PIMCO. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.